0: Hope Church. Uh, We're going to finish up the Gospel of John this morning. We are in the Gospel of John, Chapter 21. Uh, It's taken us some months to get through this book, but so glad uh, to do so and to do so together. Um, and, uh, hopefully we finish with just, um, a real appreciation for what God has given us, um, in his son, Jesus, and, um, through the, through the scripture that we have to be able to read and to understand, um, the, the plan of God and, uh, the, the love of God and the, the mission of God. And so we, uh, want to give thanks, um, today, um, From the end of chapter 20, I just want to remember what um, was written here. It says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, that's a pretty awesome um, statement that is written there. that Jesus did so many other things not written in this book. John's going to mention that again in chapter, in, in chapter 21. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So we need to remember that with belief in Jesus comes life. The scripture goes on to tell us in uh, 2 Corinthians that If anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. See, Jesus gives life. And life eternal. And life with purpose. Back from the beginning in Genesis, our purpose is to know and to worship God. That's our ultimate purpose. There's a lot of other things we do in life that God has given us and giving us blessings and and opportunities um, to enjoy. Uh, The opportunity to enjoy family, the opportunity to enjoy work, the opportunity to enjoy um, God's creation as we uh, go out in nature, as you look up at the stars and see the handiwork of God's creation, or as you look under a microscope and see the handiwork of God's creation, or if you're just walking down a trail and see a beautiful flower and admire the handiwork of God's creation, but in all of these things, the purpose is to point us to the Lord, to point us to God, to cause our hearts and and everything within us to desire um, to worship his holy name, and there is life in the name of Jesus. You see, we need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that means to believe that Jesus is the anointed one, he was the one sent to be our savior and to be our king. See, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus in some sort of um, intellectual way—just that he was, or that he was a good teacher, or something like that. We must believe that he is the Christ, the Anointed One, the promised one, the Son of God. See how he says that there, the Son of God, like there's that he, there is deity that Jesus is—you know, God having I mean, put on human flesh. And that believing you may have life in his name. There is life in his name. This goes back to John chapter 3. Where it's emphasized. That you know those who believe in him are not condemned. But those who do not believe are condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of. Of the only begotten son of God. See this is. The reality of the situation. That everything hinges. On Jesus. The the eternity of each one. Hinges. On Jesus himself. And their belief. The person's belief in him. Or denial of him. It's one or the other. And then it's interesting that after making that statement, now John in chapter 21 is going to move us to where his emphasis is on the, the restoration of Peter. So remember, Peter had had believed. See, there isn't an, an issue in terms of Peter's faith that Jesus is the Messiah. But there is an issue in terms of Peter failing and his need for restoration. And and this is an important lesson, folks, for us, because if you are truly a follower of Jesus and you stumble, you don't need to be saved again, but you do need to be restored. There's a big difference between salvation and restoration, And so we're going to look at that this morning in John chapter 21, and let's go to the Lord in prayer again. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the person and mission of Jesus, that you showed us how much you loved us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we thank you so much, Jesus. Instruct us according to your word this morning, we pray. In your name, we praise you, Jesus. Amen chapter 21 verse 1 it says after these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias that's another name for the sea of Galilee you may remember that is where Jesus had called some of these first disciples who were fishermen and in this way he showed himself Simon Peter Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee the son of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together Simon Peter said to them I am going fishing. Then he. Then they said to him, "We are going with you also." So they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not did not know that it was Jesus. So again, just setting that scene there, and you know, a lot's been made of this about the disciples back in in Galilee and and that they're they're fishing and you know some have have thought well you know they've just kind of gone back to their you know regular way of life but i don't think that does justice um, to the situation we have to remember uh, one of the other gospels records for us that the, you know the disciples were instructed to go to galilee the angel told Mary you know tell, tell the, the other disciples like go you know i'm going to i'm going to appear to you i'm going to see you in galilee now he showed himself to them there in jerusalem but they still have that command that they're supposed to go back to Galilee and that Jesus is going to meet them there. So they were they were being obedient to what they were told to do. It's not like they're like, well, we're not so sure about this whole mission thing that Jesus, you know, wants us to be on for him. That he's, you know, remember, he's already we saw last week in chapter 20, he's breathed the you know, Holy Spirit on them. Like he's already given them authority um, as apostles and so, you know, he's, he has, it's not like these disciples are like, well, we're not sure about this anymore. We might go back to our old way where we made our living as as fishermen. Now they've gone back to Galilee and they're in their, their home, you know, they're in their hometown and their family is still in the fishing business and the boats and the nets and everything are, are there and, and I'm going to tell you something about um, people who like to fish. When people who like to fish get around water, they tend to want to go fishing. That's a, natural, that's a natural thing. Some of you know my son loves to fish. Well, every time we pass a body of water, he talks about, I wonder what type of fish are in there, or I would like to go fishing there. So you just have to put him near water, and he's going to want to fish. This is true of anybody who loves to fish. If they see water, they're like, "Hmm, we got a little pond. This little man-made pond with a fountain here in this office park." We still think, "Hmm, I wonder. I wonder if there's fish in there. If so, I wonder what kind, and I wonder how big they are." See, fishermen love to fish. It's not something you know people choose to do for fun or as a, or as a career because other people make them. It's something that. It's like, hey, I, I really want to fish. I love to fish, and so they're going to go get some fish. Now, there and there may have been some economic reason. Maybe they needed some cash, so to try to catch some fish, make some money. But I think probably mostly is just, hey, we're back home. We like to fish. We haven't fished in in, in a long time. Let's go fishing. And Jesus is there on the seashore. And he asked them in verse five, then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now I'm going to tell you a couple things here because, you know, Jesus on the shore, they can't see clearly who it is. But it's a common question you know you're walk by somewhere and people are, are fishing and you ask hey have you caught anything well especially if you are a, fish, a fisher person if you like to fish that's a common thing to ask other people who are fishing and that's a common question to be asked because people kind of want to know is there any action today is there a possibility of getting fish today it's a common sort of thing to say and if you've been fishing all night, somebody can give you an idea. And you'll try, if you haven't caught anything, you've been fishing all night, you'll you'll try something different. If somebody says, hey, try this. But this one's kind of fun is just, you know, cast your net on the other side of the boat and you will find something. So they cast and Now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, again, that's how John describes himself a lot in this book, the disciple whom Jesus loved, his identity, where he stands most important to him is that Jesus loves him. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged it and plunged into the sea. You know, now that's kind of uh, that's kind of a funny funny statement there. Funny verse, if you think about it. You know, John realizes it's Jesus and says it's the Lord. Simon Peter hears that. He puts on his outer garment. You see, he had been fishing and he's kind of, you know, obviously it wasn't cold. And so he doesn't have much clothing on. As he's doing, it and mean, he's just out in the boat with his with his buddies, with his friends. It's not a big deal. Now, most people when they go to jump in the water, like you take more clothing off than instead of putting on clothing. But you know, he didn't want to be in an indecent, potentially indecent situation, so he puts clothes on and then jumps into the water. Uh, it, um, obviously, confident in his ability to swim. <laughs> you know, because most of us are going to be like, hey, we're not putting stuff that could weigh us down as we jump into the water. And so he plunged into the sea. The other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits. A cubit is about 18 inches, so not too far away. Dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it. And bread, and Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although they were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing it was the Lord. And Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to him to them and likewise the fish. Now we don't know if Jesus had caught fish himself or if he had turned stones into fish or whatever he had done, he could do it he could solve the issue of needing to have a little something there however he wanted. And so that's how he did it. Well, we're not told exactly how he did it, but that he did it. He had he had fish and he had bread. And he tells them to bring some. And it tells us they caught 153 large fish. Now, for anybody, that's a good day. That's a great day of fishing. Now, you know, people want to make kind of a deal a lot of times out of any number you find in the Bible. And, and a lot of numbers in the Bible are significant. Because, you know, they, they represent, that number represents a specific thing. But 153 fish, I don't have any reference point for how that would be, you know, somehow theologically meaningful. Um, it's just common that when you catch fish, you count how many you caught. Like, that's, that's what we do when we fish. You know... We, we don't say, like, how many fish did you catch? Well, I caught some fish. And we usually are able to say, I caught seven fish or 12 fish or 53 fish or how many ever exact number of fish it was. Fishermen know how many fish they caught. That's just how it goes. It's also when you have, you know, it's different. You know, when you're out line fishing, it's kind of like, well... Joe caught three fish, and Fred caught five fish, and Susie caught seven fish, and they're each going to take home the number of fish that they caught. But when you're just, you know, using nets, and it's a team effort, you count up the number of fish, and you divide the number of fish by the number of people who were fishing, and that's your share. Okay, that's your... When you're net fishing, it's different. Man, I was talking about fishing. I'm, I'm wanting to go fishing. So... Um, this is a a great day of fishing for them. Even better is that they're with Jesus. Even better is that they're with Jesus. Verse 14 says, Now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, Feed. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Son of, of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Son of, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you that when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you to where you do not wish. And this he spoke, signifying by which death he would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now I want to hit a few things in this in this passage just very briefly. When Jesus, there's a couple things that we need to take a, a note of. You know, Jesus says the first time, Simon, do you love me more than these? You know, do you remember remember how Peter had made such a declaration? Before he fell and denied that he even knew Jesus, he claimed that he loved Jesus so much, you know, that he would be willing to go to the cross. He would be willing to die. Jesus is reminding him, you know, of his failure, because, you know, if you're going to move forward, when when we've messed up in our walk with Jesus, if we're going to move forward, we have to have a real conversation with Jesus about that. You see, Jesus doesn't let us just kind of like sweep it on the rug and ignore it and move on. Jesus, yeah, through the Holy Spirit, there's conviction, but Jesus is convicting Peter, reminding him not to rub it into his into his face, not to rub it in his face of you failed, but so that he can restore Peter. There has to be. A recognition of the reality of what happened, and it's interesting. We see that Peter has indeed been humble because, you know, in, in many languages there's there's different words for for love. Our English, when it comes to the word love, is is pretty simplistic. You know, we um, we make. Experiences in 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 the context and and by amount and type of love based on the context of what we're talking about. Obviously, when somebody says, you know, I love pizza, and they say, you know, I love God, and they say I love my family, that those loves are not equal. It's the same word each time, but the, but the context determines and the heart determines the the amount of and the type of. Love that is being talked about, but in in other languages, like in in the Greek, there's multiple words for love. There's an agape love, which is a, a the highest love. That's the type of love we would use to describe of loving God. There's a phileo love, which is a brotherly love. This is where, where Philadelphia comes from, the city of brotherly love. Okay. There's Eros, which is you know a passionate type of love, so there's different types of love, and that's more clearly seen um, in in the Greek here. And each time, well, the first two times that that Jesus uses the word, he uses agape, but each time. Peter responds. He responds with a phileo. A, you know, it, he's he's um a little bit humbled, I think. In his response, he doesn't use the exact same word back because he's he's been humbled because of his failure. And he's time, though, in that restoration, you see he, Peter is being. Restored for a purpose. It yes, so he so he feels better, so he's emotionally healthy and well. That's important to Jesus. But it's not just for Peter. It's for those who are going to be influenced by his life. See, this is, goes back again, you know, when God saves a person, he doesn't save them just for themselves, he saves them to put them on a mission. To help others as well. When God restores a believer who's fallen, it's not just to restore that believer, but it's also for that to be a blessing to others. You see, and this is this is one of the problems when we live in a culture where narcissism is glorified, when individualism is the end-all to be all, when it becomes all about you or all about me and listen folks don't don't be foolish and say that's just other people don't be foolish and say oh my culture has not influenced me in any way shape or form related to that that's foolish because if you don't think that it has it probably has and probably has to a greater degree you know, but unless you have recognized hey this is a problem culturally and because it's a problem culturally, I'm likely to be influenced by that culture and therefore I need to have a reckoning with God about myself and how I view myself. The scripture actually encourages us to take an accurate view of one's self. See, because here's what we're prone to do as humans. We go to pendulum swings, right? So what we tend to do as humans is either, you know, we're just like a piece of garbage. We're, you know, we beat ourselves up. We're terrible. We're nothing. Or we're like, yeah, I'm all that a bag of chips. I am great. I'm wonderful. You know, that's. We go one or the other. But if your identity and your value is based in Jesus, then you understand that you were valuable enough for God to create you and for Jesus to go to the cross to pay for your sins so that you could be redeemed. And that you have intrinsic value to God, not based on what you do or what your name is or your position in life or anything else, but it's based on the value that God has given you as a human being. And because God knows you by name. And because God loves you. And at the same time, it humbles you not to think more of yourself than you are. Because you know, but for the grace of God, go I. But for the grace of God, I am lost. But for the grace of God, I have nothing. I have nothing. So that keeps us grounded. It keeps us... Focused. It keeps us thinking rightly of ourselves, not too low and not too high. Our identity is in Jesus. And if our identity is in Jesus, then like Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all, then we too will be servants. look to serve others. Look to be last in the line for food. We're reminded of those who have gone before us and have made great sacrifices and have taken these words to heart because Jesus says to Peter, said to him, feed my lambs. And he didn't say feed yourself. He said feed my lambs. said to him a second time Simon son of Jonah do you love me he said to him yes Lord you know that I love you and he said to him tend my sheep see how it's others focus because Peter needs to leave it to to Jesus that you know Jesus is going to feed him Jesus is going to tend to him he didn't have to worry so much about himself because Jesus is the one who seeks to take care of him and that he can focus on taking care of others. See, let God take care of you. You focus on others. That's going to be a much better life than just trying to take care of yourself. You know, you see that bracelet that's kind of common today. And it's not bad. You know, it's, I am second. And that's a whole lot better than being first, right? Because God is first. But it'd be better, I think, if that person said, I am third. Or maybe fourth or fifth or sixth, but I'm third. You know, it's God, then others, then us. And he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And this time Jesus uses the phileo. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And here I think the emphasis is on the number of times it's said, and maybe even a little bit more than on the, the Greek words that are, that are used. Because if somebody says to you something, and, and that's the emphasis here that's given because he said to him the third time. You know, do you love me? If you get asked a question multiple times, you might begin to think that the person that you're talking to doesn't believe what you're saying. But really, I think he said Jesus wants to firm into him, he wants to give him a situation, an experience that he's never going to forget. Because he's going to need that. He's going to need that in the future when things get really difficult. And Peter is always going to go, be able to go back to the Sea of Galilee in his mind. No matter where he is in, in life in the future. No matter what country he's in or what, what what the persecution is like. What situation he finds himself in. He's going to be able to go back and remember where he was called by Jesus to be a disciple by the Sea of Galilee. And he's going to be able to always go back and remember his res- restoration by the Sea of Galilee. See, he's got these, these touchstones in, in his life that he's always able to go back to and say, yes, yes, that's where had an experience with the Lord. And so I, you know, I want to ask you today, dear friends, you know, in your life, what are those experiences that you go back to with, you know, where you first met Jesus or where Jesus restored you after a failure or Jesus, where Jesus, it was very clear to you that the Lord wanted you to do a specific thing or a place where the Lord, you know, specifically provided for you in an unexpected way. And when you have those experiences that can only be brought about, folks, by faith. So then in the future, when you're in difficult circumstances, you have something to look back to and go, but yes, this is hard, but I remember when. Yes, this is this is painful and difficult but I remember when folks what are yours what are your touchstones where you can go back and remember and folks that's a biblical concept back from Genesis all the way through but you can go back and remember see for us, When we take the bread and the cup and remember what Jesus did for us, that's another one. Because, you know, when we feel hopeless, we remember back and say, but Jesus died for me and he rose from the dead. And yes, things seemed, seemed hopeless for many, even who witnessed it when Jesus died on the cross. But there was a resurrection. Yes, there was Friday, but there was also Sunday. And then we're told this. Jesus tells him this in verse eighteen. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Now this does two things. It it reminds, it tells Peter, hey, look, you're going to suffer. Because he's telling him that he's going he's gonna to go to his death in a way that he does not want to go. But he also gives him some comfort when you are old. Yeah, you don't have to worry about some years from now, Peter. Peter's still pretty young at this point, relatively speaking. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the next few weeks or months. But there is going to come a point in time. Now, verse 20, Peter's turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's again, John following who had also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Remember, that was John that had that scene there with Jesus at the last supper. And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Jesus said to him, even if he never dies, if I return and and John is still alive, what is that to you? You follow me. See, and this is an issue. Folks, this is an issue for so many that, you know, you can be in a situation where it it, is so tempting to look at the lives of other people. And to try to measure where you're at in li- in life and in your 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 journey with Jesus, I think here the scripture is pretty clear that we shouldn't do that. Run your own race. Run your own race. Because really, the only one you're running that with. Is Jesus like you're in a competition, yes, you're in a but you're in a competition with like the enemy with spiritual darkness. And you're in a competition to see like how obedient you can be to Jesus. But this is about what your best is in walk with the Lord. It's not there's not a comparison with another person. And we sit there and try to compare it with another person instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus. the author and finisher of our faith. See, that whole context there in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is about running a race. Run the race that is set before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. Not keeping your eyes on those others who are also running the race to see if you are ahead, even, or behind. That's not what the scripture says. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We'll sit there and go, but how's the Lord using this person or how's the Lord using that person? As if that matters. Folks, it doesn't matter. We have a toxic Christian culture. Where all that like matters. Like I've been to conferences where they have a, a special room. That if you have over a certain number of people in that church. And you're a leader of that church. Then you can go into that room. But if you don't have that number. You're not supposed to go into that room. You see, that is just having people putting their eyes on other people running the race instead of eyes on Jesus. Like that's a travesty. That's that's sinful. It's a it's a joke. As if how God is using those who follow him is based on you know the numbers of people in seats on a Sunday. Like, really? So Jesus cares about obedience. He says, what is that to you? You follow me. So for, for Peter, whether other people are following well or not following well or receive certain blessings or don't receive certain blessings or he receives a blessing or doesn't, it doesn't matter. Peter has one job. Follow Jesus. Hey, folks, you've got one job. Follow Jesus. Now, God gives us the privilege that we do that in community with other believers. We see that not taking away from the value of the of the church family that the scripture is so clear on, that Jesus is clear on, that we would love one another but ultimately you have a responsibility to Jesus period I have a responsibility to Jesus period verse 23 now people misunderstood what was said and so John has to correct it he said then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? See, John had to clarify things like, hey, people are saying I'm not going to die a natural death. That's not what Jesus said. He just said, if that's his will that he doesn't, then I wouldn't. It's not what he, you know, he wasn't making a promise to me. You see, and, and this is a great lesson for us because all the time people You know, read the scriptures and take promises that were written to other people, and say, "Well, this promise is for me." Well, that's not always um, a good idea. We have to take in context what is for us and what is for someone else. The most common one that is done is to make, you know. you know, and, and people do this in different countries but the promises that are, are made to Israel people tend to make them as if those things were written to the United States of America or to Mexico or to Brazil or to some other country where believers are in and they're reading these things about the nation and God's blessing for the nation and they say, well that's us nope, sorry, that's Israel not you <laughs> but there are blessings in doing things God's way and in following Him Like, don't misunderstand what I'm saying but we have to be careful as we take the scripture that we apply it correctly in the context of who it's written to and why, and that we make the right sort of applications. Then the saying Okay, we, we've gotten that. Verse 24. This is a disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. John leaves us in awe of Jesus and all that he had done, which we get a small percentage of, a small fraction of as we read his gospel. And we are so thankful that our king is so great and so big and his table is so large that there is room at the table for people from every tribe and tongue and nation from every family of the earth the love of God is immense For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but has everlasting life. So that's the promise that is given to us in the scripture. And this is why John wrote the book to put us in awe of Jesus and to understand who he is. Fully God and fully man, the one who came to be sacrificed the sacrifice for us at the cross. May we worship His holy name this morning. May we remember Him in spirit and in truth, and may our lives have that desire to obey that command that Jesus gave. But hey, listen, folks. Whatever anybody else says, whatever whatever the world says, whatever the world says, you know has going on that, that that says is is what your life needs to be dedicated and to be focused on. Whatever your family says, you need to do this with your life. Whatever anybody says. What is that to you? Will you listen to the command of Jesus and follow him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you for your love and your goodness and grace. We thank you for this awesome, awesome book that we've got to study together. And, Lord, please use it to encourage our hearts and our minds this morning that we would be fully des- desiring to follow you, Jesus, whatever you ask of us. And we lift up your holy and precious name. And please work in our hearts and in our minds in the deepest core of who we are, Lord. May we say yes to you. Yes, Jesus will follow you, no matter what. We praise your precious name, Jesus.